This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network, my latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis. Taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. In today's episode, I have Jim Anliot, Director at Affiliated Monitors, and we consider telehealth monitoring in the age of coronavirus. It's a fascinating exploration of where medicine may be going and how it may be monitored by regulators and insurance companies. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox back for another episode and today I have with me James Anlia. James is the Director of Healthcare Compliance Services at Affiliated Monitors. James, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks very much for the opportunity to talk to you today. James, I was wondering if you could share with our audience a little bit about your professional background. Okay. I've been Director of Healthcare Compliance Services at Affiliated Monitors since the company's inception in 2004. Um, Prior to that, I worked with as legal counsel to a number of state professional licensing boards in Massachusetts for about 16 years. Um, so I have a lot of background at this point in healthcare regulation, particularly at the state level. Um, my responsibilities at affiliated monitors are to run some of our independent monitoring programs for individual practitioners and also to help healthcare organizations develop um, internal compliance programs for larger uh, provider groups. James, of all the changes uh, that have been wrought by COVID-19 and the coronavirus health crisis, the explosion in telehealth services may be right up there at the top. Uh, I have experienced that personally. Uh, it was a very positive experience for me, but there are many facets to this story. And really what I wanted to visit with you about is uh, how can you help, how can you help, or how can a healthcare provider um evaluate the performance of a doctor utilizing telehealth services. So could you maybe start by explaining uh, what telehealth services principally are? Well, telehealth services get delivered in basically three different ways. It's a way of, uh, principally, it's a way of having the provider and the patient communicate with one another without the necessity for an in-person visit um, to the provider's office. Um, those services get delivered in basically one of three three fashions. One is in form in terms of real time audio and or video communication between the provider and the patient, which the provider and the patient are talking to one another essentially face to face via um, audio only technology, a telephone, or via a combination of audio and video technology, like go to meeting or a Zoom meeting or something like that. Um, a second way to do this is what they call a store and forward encounter in which the patient um, accumulates information, stores it, sends it to the provider, 
but the provider reviews it at a later point so that the provider and the patient don't have any direct um, immediate communi- real-time communication with one another. Um, the third is through um, what's commonly called patient data monitoring. And this involves basically uh, automatic transmission of information about the patient from some sort of monitoring device. It might be a blood pressure monitor or a, a blood sugar monitor or a heart rate monitor um, directly to the provider who analyzes that data and draws conclusions based on the information they have. James, uh, it occurs to me that the evaluation of a healthcare provider is of great import to a variety of stakeholders. Obviously, a hospital or some other network uh, which has doctors or other healthcare providers, an insurance company, uh, obviously a state regulator, and perhaps even a federal regulator is very concerned with these issues. How has telehealth services changed this equation for evaluation? Well, before telehealth services became prominent, um, both state and federal regulators and insurance carriers as well primarily evaluated the quality of patient care and decisions about payment for the evaluation and management of patients on reviews of a provider's patient treatment records. The content of that has become very different now, Um, basically because the uh, in a telehealth situation, you don't typically have an opportunity for the provider to perform any sort of a patient examination of the person that they're providing services to. There's no way to gather vital signs or to obtain physical exam findings. And in a lot of situations, you're not able to gain a lot of information about the patient's past medical history either, except through um, their own subjective reporting of things. So um, when we, you know, before the, the, um, uh, the pandemic hit, the, mostly wide, the, the most widely accepted standards for documentation of patient care services in medicine were basically the Medicare and Medicaid documentation guidelines for evaluation and management services, which were first issued in 1995 and updated most recently in 2009. Um, under those guidelines, Under those guidelines, um, the, the, the principal um, uh, data points on which patient records were evaluated consisted of the nature and history of the patient's um, uh, present illness or current problem, the extent to which the provider captured and recorded relevant information about the patient's past medical, social, and family history, um, the nature and extent of the provider's diagnostic examination and evaluation of the patient, um, including the scope of the physical examination performed and the amount of diagnostic testing and or imaging procedures that were done, and the relative complexity of the medical decision-making, which is involved in selecting the appropriate form of treatment for the patient. Um, the, feds, the federal government relied heavily on those um, key data points in determining whether a record qualified for uh, uh, payment of, for services. Most state regulators relied on those same guidelines to evaluate a physician's performance, uh, although some states did supplement those guidelines with specific content requirements of their own about patient records. Um, 
The problem is that the state le- is that the state level alleged failure to meet those documentation standards was one of the most frequently used grounds for imposing professional discipline on a physician. Um, and those sanctions, in turn, often triggered exclusion from public and private health insurance payment programs. In the telehealth environment, however, the process of performing a physical examination of the patient and or obtaining diagnostic or testing or imaging is considerably more difficult, if not impossible. In a real-time audio and video interaction between the provider and the patient, um, the provider can't do a physical examination of the patient. They can't take vital signs. They can't perform basic physical examination procedures. And their ability to get diagnostic testing results has also become more difficult because the pandemic has, has forced providers of laboratory testing and diagnostic imaging services to prioritize patients who have COVID-19 symptoms. And some have even closed down or refused to accept referrals for such testing from providers who are seeing patients who don't have COVID-19 symptoms. Um, So that's changed the way in which uh, healthcare regulators and in the way in which insurance payment uh, sources have had to have, try and evaluate whether a physician is delivering the kind of quality of care they expect and the the quality of the services necessary to qualify them for payment. James, in many other types of compliance, it is the regulators who sort of lead the discussion by uh, changing the way they uh, require something by looking at something new, by adding a new requirement. Would that be a fair assessment in your world as well, that the state and or federal regulators are really uh, leading this discussion by their actions, or is it something else going on? They've, well, they've clearly had to, state and federal regulators have clearly had to shift their their focus a little bit. Um, the I think they're, the the whole issue of telemedicine has been under discussion by state and federal regulators for some time, um, probably, at, I would say, close to a decade. Um, but for a long time, um, they had time to sort of try and sort out how it was they were going to evaluate provider performance in a telemedicine environment. Now, with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, that time frame has become very much compressed. And state and federal regulators are now having to jump um, to new ways of evaluating provider um, quality of care. Um, and that's proven, proven particularly challenging. Some of the ways in which the, the regulators have, have responded um, have been very interesting. Medicare and Medicaid, for example, at the federal level, have at least temporarily said that a physician who is providing services to a patient by telemedicine does not have to document the patient's past medical history and does not have to document any patient examination findings in order to be able to bill for the fundamental evaluation and management services, which are at the core of each physician's um, payment system. Um, This makes sense logistically, but it makes meaningful evaluation of the quality of care difficult given what the guidelines we have been using up to now. Um, What's interesting is that even though the the, 
physical examination guidelines in particular have been essentially waived under Medicare and Medicaid, the level of payment provided for for evaluation and management services provided via telehealth is the same as the level of payment provided for um, those services when the physician is seeing the patient in person. Um, uh, and the, what now has happened is that Medicare and Medicaid have essentially made the time that the physician spends on that evaluation of the patient as the critical factor in determining what the level of payment will be. Um, at, before the pandemic, that was decidedly not the case. The, the federal authorities took, clearly took the position that the length of time you spent with the patient was not the decisive factor in terms of how much you got paid. Um, state regulators have had to, have had to respond, um, differently too. Um, their response has focused, uh, principally on four things. One is, uh, whether an in-person evaluation of the patient is required before telehealth services can be delivered. Uh, and the vast majority of the states who have addressed um, this question have basically said, no, um, telehealth services can be used right from the very beginning. Um, states have also focused on the question of how telehealth services are to be provided. Most states have said um, that you can use either a technology which combines both audio and video at the same time, or you can use an audio-only technology like a, a telephone call um, to deliver um, health services. Their only insistence has been that whatever technology you use has to meet federal HIPAA uh, information security standards. Um, the the question has arisen, of course, in the, in, the, in this context, whether medical records uh, documentation requirements have been changed. And interestingly, most states have said no to that as well, um, which is interesting because query how that matches up with what Medicare and Medicaid are saying about the elements of a record that don't need to be present in order to qualify for payment. Um, and lastly, the, the states have been very concerned with the question of whether controlled substances can be prescribed via telehealth, basically because of the concern about um, opioid overprescribing by physicians. Most states that have addressed the question, though, have said, yes, you can prescribe uh, controlled substances via telehealth services, although most have also said that you can do so only if federal law permits. And the question there is going to turn upon whether the Drug Enforcement Administration is going to allow it. So, James, this um, one of my observations in doing podcasts around the coronavirus health crisis or this era has been that trends that are sort of percolating long before 2020, in many instances, have accelerated almost exponentially. And it would seem that it, telehealth and issues around telehealth uh, certainly fall into that category. But you, as someone who has to help uh, either a regulator or a physician who may have gotten in trouble uh, and is part of a disciplinary procedure, uh, are helping to uh, provide oversight through a monitorship, have you all been thinking through that, uh, a monitorship or other oversight issue in the era of telehealth? Oh, absolutely. Um, the, you know, the question for us, 
Um, most of our monitoring of physician uh, providers has been through reviews of, of patient treatment records. So the question presents itself to us as, as um, powerfully as it does to, to regulators across the country. How do you evaluate quality of care in that, in, in that environment? Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see whether um, we start looking at alternative ways of measuring quality of care, um, whether you know, patient treatment records are going to continue to be an important um, benchmark to look at in all of that. Um, but we may also be looking at the quest- at other questions um, to see whether quality of care is preserved, even though the treatment records are not what we have typically expected up to now. My expectation at this point is that telemedicine is, is going to continue, um, whether the the, an end to the pandemic will mean an end to these sort of temporary um, uh, exceptions to record-keeping requirements is, is a good question. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Well, James, the um, I used to ask people a question, uh, ending question, something along the lines of, where do you see all of this in Q3 and Q4? Uh, and unfortunately, now I have to ask, uh, where do you see all of this perhaps 12, 18, or even 24 months out? Will you, you anticipate an acceleration of the trends you are already seeing or perhaps something else? Well, there's a, there's a variety of things that, that, that could happen here. I think the, the push towards increased use of telemedicine services is going to continue. Um, part of the reason for that is that telemedicine um, – is an effective way of delivering services at low cost to um, patients in rural areas, patients in, um, who are among underserved populations who may not have immediate access to a physician's office or a way to get to an appointment. Um, so I think the trend towards increasing use of telemedicine is probably going to expand. That's particularly true, I think, probably in behavioral health um, as much as physical health. Um, What's what I don't know at this point is whether, as, as I said earlier, whether the record keeping requirements will keep pace with this, um, and whether um, regulators will start looking to different ways of measuring uh, quality of care standards. The National Committee on Quality Assurance, for example, has developed a whole set of standards for um, recognizing physician practices on the basis of their um, meeting various standards in terms of delivery of services. Um, will regulators now follow suit in terms of looking at provider performance? Good question. and We don't know the answer to that one yet. James, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any additional information, where could they go? Um, I invite them to contact affiliated monitors directly. Uh, we can, they can contact us through our website at affiliatedmonitors.com or through our uh, toll-free number. Uh, and let me see if I have that available. Um, I should. Um, we can, you can reach us, though, um, non-toll-free uh, at 617-275-0620. James, I hope that uh, perhaps as we move out to this 12, 18-month, or even 24-month time frame, I might be able to call upon you to come back on the podcast and, and give us an update of where 
uh, telehealth is and, and particularly your part in monitoring. I'd be very happy to do that. I'd look forward to it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This is the only B2B podcast which brings clear and sane information for both the compliance professional and the business executive. If I could ask you uh, to do one thing, if you could tell one person about this podcast, I'm trying to get the word out uh, about this motion podcast in the compliance podcast network so if you could tell one person about it send them a copy send them a link and do something uh, to help me publicize this podcast i would greatly appreciate it compliance and coronavirus is a production of the compliance podcast network and it appears tuesday wednesday and thursday of each week thanks again for listening and i hope you'll join me again for another episode This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.